start recording. After Chumps, a reading podcast. We are your chumps, here to talk some chapters. Today, we are going to be discussing chapters six and seven of book two of the second book of the unofficial Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Two Towers. These chapters are the Forbidden Pool and Journey to the Crossroads. A tower is so Um, good, they had to build it twice. Yeah, <laughs> we don't even, we are still, I don't, not positive on what towers are referenced. It's pretty funny because like, as we've read this book, I swear to God, there's been at least six towers. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's been, been a lot of towers, that, that, yeah. There have, there have been definitely more than two towers, and those towers have been named several times over. Yeah. Those towers true. don't yeah. even have just one name. It's like four names for every fucking tower. Yeah, like six towers, 12 names, and 17 different towns. Okay, yeah, exactly. You know, forget two girls, one cup. Yeah. This is like <laughs> six towers, 20 names. So, so guys, guys, how's your uh, No Nut November going? Josh? Way to derail the podcast in... A minute and a half. No, he just said, you know, two girls, one cup. So he just, it, it reminded me. Oh, so that was, that was like, yeah. why? That was the train yeah. of the thought, right? Fuck. Josh, how's your, uh, you know, no I mean, nut? I am currently not while you're watching that video, right? For real. I am currently reviewing my notes because it's been over a week since we, uh, yeah, I read. Know, but I read. Been, I but that's not the question I asked, though. I was asking, so you, I, I was asking you how the, how, how no nut November has gone so far. I think Connor should continue with the podcast. Okay. All right. So that, I mean, I am not going to speak for Josh. It just sounds like if you don't answer, it's kind of like an implicit no. Yeah. It's, you know. Like if you did. Like oh, you God. Okay. Sh- well, that's that's our cue to move on <laughs> when he shuts All the right. video. When, okay. when, when he leaves the, All uh, right. it's just, the conversation. All I'm saying is if you don't, it's like one of those, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're, I'm not saying it's fair. No, no I'm not no, saying no. it's fair. In, in the criminal justice system, people should be innocent until proven guilty, right? Exactly, I'm not saying exactly. it's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying I think that's like the inherent understanding. I'm not saying it's fair. Josh, we are moving on, by the way. Don't worry. Thank you. We are moving on. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I, I, you know, th- this is a bit of crossover because I asked that I, I, I asked Connor that on Green Dudes. Um, yeah. And and I was like, I gotta ask Josh too so i i had i had to slip that in there so um my my apologies and 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 we both um you know speaking of green dudes coming clean right yes. you know we we both oh, we yes, both came we clean and, oh uh, yes we are i mean i don't know about the clean that clean part but the coming part oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't think it's we're not it's all that, that, that it's, it's a little bit dirty but uh but we are coming <laughs> We we've already wow. lost. We've already lost. If uh, no, not November. If you have been waiting for the glorious return of chapter jumps for these, you know, because we did miss a week, and um, yeah, trust me, I apologize from the bottom of my heart for that. Yeah, but I know what he's been doing. Upload anymore? Right? Yeah. Exactly. He, do you know what he's been busy with? Um. Okay. I think we are moving on now, Connor. I think we're going to move on. 
Um, that was like a fun. It's like, oh, it's the intro, you know, like yeah. And now we're done. Oh no, I'm I'm I I've got it all out of my system. You know, got a lot more than that out of your system. Am I right? Am I right? I thought we were moving on. I'm allowed to do that because I'm the host. Oh, okay, fair enough. That's some of the the perks of being the host. You, I mean, talk about cross promotion. You as the host of Dune Dudes. I mean, I think you kind of you mean Green Dudes. I mean, you recognize. Do you mean what green did I say? Dudes? Dune Dudes. Uh-huh. Wow, yeah. That's a different show. Yeah, trust show. me. I do, trust me. Trust me. I do fucking mean green dudes. Uh, but you you know what it's like to have that that power, you know, to have to like have like a baby bird in your hand. I know, and you could just, you know, you could just you and you all it, it doesn't even take even a, an ounce of your strength to just crush it. Yeah, I mean, you you, between your fingers like it's fucking jelly. It's true. You have the power to do terrible and terrific things. I mean, and is that not what hosting a podcast is? Holding a baby bird in the palm of your fucking absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, Josh is giving baby bird vibes (laughs) right now. To be honest, so I just. It's, I mean, like, I know a lot of times I come onto the podcast and it's like, is he drunk? And it's like, listen, guys, I'm drunk. On the answer power. is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, but we'll get there. Trust me, we will. Okay, so, uh, chapter chumps, Lord of the Rings, the two towers. We're almost done with this book, guys. Wait, hey, hey. Um, a tower so good they had to build it twice. Was that a joke so good you had to say it twice? Because uh-huh. you already did that, dude. I know, I know. I just had to. I, I just wanted to uh, put it in there again, just in case you, you missed it. Really, I feel like you got. You just nobody missed it. I feel like it got it, it got overshadowed by the whole, um, you know. <laughs> no, no, it really no, didn't. November. No, no, it it actually didn't because that that was the beginning point of us talking about like oh well there's like all these other towers and they've been named like 10 times over i know we built off of that point oh yeah oh yeah no i i I, I just felt like i had to to fucking say anything oh you know i felt like i had to refresh their their uh you know memories my god you know it's actually better when you're the host because when you're not you're like the little monkey boy you're like the little wind-up monkey with the symbols you know and you're like the you are the cosmic imp. You're this little podcast gremlin. You know, like you, that's what you do. If you're not the host, you only have two roles. Host and, and gremlin. And then it, you, you, right, you go, you go, you're like gremlin mode right now. We, we all have a part to play. I suppose. Let's, uh, let's play our roles as chumps. Yes. And discuss these two chapters. Um, by the way, this is not this is not an apology to the audience. I, I'm sorry to you guys um, that we did not do this in a timely manner. Uh, has has been a tough week. Had a lot of uh, work stuff, school stuff coming up. So yeah, it was a holiday. Um, I, yeah, is it? Was there a holiday? That's why we didn't record last week. Wait, what? Oh, Halloween? Yeah. Oh. Oh, that's yes, yes. 
That's funny. I don't really think of like Halloween is a holiday, but when you say like there was a holiday, like that's not what my mind goes. How to. does time? It, it was a holiday that got in the way of our uh, of our recording. No, it's so true. There was a holiday. It's true. You're exactly right. We were going to uh, Josh. Did you get trick or treaters? I heard so many people I, say they did not get trick or treaters. I had two groups of trick or treaters come this year, which is a hundred percent increase from last year. <laughs> Next year, I'm hoping so for three groups. Up. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the first group was literally just a kid in a Mike Wazowski costume and then uh the second group was like an hour later it was like the people from across the street so i don't mean i also i live in a dead end street so but but, but can you can you say a group if it's just one kid it was like a group a kid and his his mom he was like four was was the mom wearing a costume no, I don't know if that. I don't. I'm not sure if that counts. I. It's just it, we are stretching the definition of the word group. If she was wearing a costume too, there were like, she could be there were the two distinct visits to my front door. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. And and one of them definitely definitely uh, concertained, which is a word. Look it up. A group. <laughs> Yes. Content yeah, it was like three or four kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's cool. Um, one of these days, I hope I have a house or some kind of structure I can call my personal dwelling, and um, I hope to have trick or treaters. But it, it feels like you know perhaps those days are behind us. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, it was something weird about this year. I don't know. It, Halloween was in the middle of the week, and I, I, I you know, I don't mean great. to, I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but just since we're talking about it, I heard about this for the first. Someone said this to me like it was normal. Someone said this to me. In fact, I'll tell you who it was. It was my father-in-law. My father-in-law, crazy, right? Said this to so me. Crazy. And he said it like it was like this has happened in years prior. This has been happening. I've never heard of this fucking shit. He was like, oh, yeah, we didn't get a lot of trick or treaters because um, a lot of the kids already did it when they had a trunk or treat. I've heard more and more about trunk or treat stuff. Yes. Uh, I, especially when I lived in an apartment. I've heard about that the f- for the first time this year, too. I don't know what it is. I guess it's like a driving, like you drive. It's just like it's like all the parents get together in a parking lot and they open up the back of the trunks and kids just walk car to car to get wow. candy. Yeah. It's more popular in more crowded developments, I think. Um since we grew up in the suburbs, it makes no fucking sense to us. <laughs> maybe, exactly. Maybe that's why, because we're we're suburban, suburban uh, brats. Part suburban of it, nights. part of it, I think, is also parents these days just want so much more control over what their kids are up to. Exactly. That they yeah, just want to keep an eye on the on them the whole time, and not just like from the street of like, hey, go ring that random person's doorbell. And uh, part of that I get, but also it's just like. We grew up just fine. I know. And I think this is like when, like this is, men of a certain age, you know, this is where we we really start to see, it's not that we see the divide, it's that the divide is being created as we age, right? I mean, I, hmm. I... I do see the divide. Obviously, Connor, you know, you you work with uh, the youth. 
Oh, I didn't. I thought you were going somewhere else with that. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, but but uh, I. Oh, and you are older than us. You're you're also okay. There, there it is. <laughs> yeah, there we quite... go. Okay. Uh, I but... do also point out we. Sorry, that. Sorry to just interrupt you, but we we also lived in a a very kid friendly neighborhood. Like we weren't the only people our age in our neighborhood. Oh no, there there was at least a hundred kids ranging from like plus or minus five years it was nuts in I our mean, age range the the streets were were filled with with little you know little tykes in costumes yeah. every year yeah 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 i mean I, I definitely it is it is funny to talk about because i think we we definitely were fortunate and grew up in like i don't know some like ideal like right place right time like somehow yep. well, we were like in, in you know born too born too yes. early to like explore the world born too late to explore <laughs> space born at just the right time to have like the perfect trick-or-treating experience what i have been saying <laughs> and you know th- th- this is broader than just uh halloween but i feel born like just the right time to be to explore meadow estates <laughs> i feel yes. like we um we had like the golden uh childhood like like we like our age group kind of is is like the peak childhood almost because because after us it's like well i mean everything's all fucked up kids you know and this is like a uh you know very boomer opinion that i have that kids don't go outside whatever they but but like we you know had like the best of both worlds where the internet was just happening but we also were outside all the time and like um it was just, yeah, it was very different. So I, I, I kind of feel like that's something that's lost now. And we were like the last ones to to do it. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, just because I'm the, the host and it's fun for me to be like really dramatic and hyperbolic. It's like we had the last childhood. Yeah. You know? The last childhood. <laughs> I know. That's Doesn't that sound like a Doctor Who episode? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like or like the, the title of some weird uh like like the road or like post-apocalyptic book yeah 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 and then if you want to like get more depressing about it like you know we also had the promise of like oh the american dream we can be whatever we want to (laughs) be but then then we're Uh, also connor connor Connor. this this is not green dudes the first downwardly mobile (laughs) this is not green dudes we're not talking about the american dream is killing me yeah i mean well you know they they got it right. You got to go song. to the other podcast for that. They got it right so. with that song. Um. All right. I. You know. I think on that note, it's it's kind of funny too because I think like that's a bit of what Frodo and the other hobbits of the Fellowship are experiencing, where it's like there's sort of like this golden age of of being a hobbit, but I think the golden age lasted for like centuries. But like essentially, like they lived in like this bubble of like perfection, like yeah. just this ideal pastoral world. And Frodo's you know, childhood know was from, peak Hobbit. It, yes, <laughs> it was. But then as he enters adulthood, you know, Hobbithood, I don't know. Um, you know, he doesn't get to continue that life. And there's all the pros and cons that come with that. Because, like, you know, Bilbo wanted to go on an adventure, so on and so forth. But, like, um, but for Frodo, we know from the beginning of Fellowship, like, he did not want to leave the Shire. He felt like he was ready to experience, like, early adulthood, you know, continuing that line of of being in the Shire and, and having that life. And that is, like, forcibly ripped away from him by 
the actions and the yes. and the designs of people that came before him. So, mm-hmm. not to paint with too broad a brushstroke, you know. I'm not saying it's one to one here, but it, it, um, it kind of is. Like looking back on it, now, but there's something there. You looking know? back on it now, I would have never left the Shire. You know, just right. personally. It, oops. Yeah, too bad Bilbo thought that Reagan was cool. <laughs> <laughs> It just goes back to that, doesn't it? Um, well, all right. I uh, I think we're ready to get into our first chapter here. Yeah, let's do it. Um, chapter six, The Forbidden Pool. So in this chapter, wh- where we last left off, um, Frodo and Sam uh, have been taken in by Faramir, Boromir's brother, and... Uh, the men of Gondor, they're out on this raid um, or patrol, I guess. And they have this like a uh, secret hideout that um, they've been brought back to. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of went over, obviously, in the previous episode, the conversations that they have at that time. But where we leave off, they, they end up resting for the night. And then where we pick up in this chapter, chapter six... Faramir wakes Frodo up in the middle of the night and he's like, hey, I know you were sleeping, man, um, but I have something that I really need your input on. So come with me. And then Sam, his hobbit senses are tingling and he gets up too. He was not beckoned by Faramir, but he gets up and he follows Frodo. They go up to this uh, like watch post and it's cool because we get a little bit more of like Usually the descriptions of the areas is like very mundane and droll, but I, I really liked the idea of like um, being like enclosed by this waterfall and like they go up to this section where it, you know it feels like there's kind of this overlook and the waterfall is cascading like through it or down it. Um, but at any rate, they're brought up there because they see Gollum off in the distance, and Faramir's like, I, you know, I got my guy here and born. And he will fucking put an arrow through this dude's cranium from 20 leagues away. You just got to say the word. And Frodo's like, no, I don't want you to do that. Faramir's like, well, you you know, what gives? Because that's kind of how we do things around here. And so Faramir knows that somehow this figure is wrapped up in, in Frodo's business we get the whole deal with, okay, Frodo's like, yeah, you know, he's my guide, blah, blah, blah. So they decide they want to trap him. Frodo goes down, tricks Smeagol. Smeagol gets trapped. They get brought back into the base. Faramir questions Smeagol. And then from there, um, Frodo, like, you know, speaks on his behalf. Smeagol is allowed to live. And uh, they're like, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna get ready to like help you on the next leg of your journey, even though you know I don't really trust this Smeagol guy. Um, and and I'm pretty sure that's where yeah that is that is essentially where our chapter ends because uh, Frodo and Sam get like another night of rest at the at the base before they leave the next day, which is what we'll get into for the next chapter. Um, what I I don't know. I feel bad. I know we had a bit of a break. Maybe our thoughts are a bit scattered here. Josh, what did you think of this chapter? 
Um, it was definitely a moral conundrum. I actually have a bunch of notes, which is random small shit, but overall with the chapter, um, it's hard to remember how I felt about it when I was reading it. You don't have um, to rub it in. <laughs> I liked it. Um, it's it's not anything that I remember from the movies, and I think that kept it interesting. Uh, the setting was definitely interesting, but I was also like, why are the 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 men like so intent on killing? anybody who touches this this water source when it's it, it's not even in their uh current territory apparently it's their old territory obviously but um there, there's something sacred about this pool and they it, it's never really explained but you just still kind of get it yeah i do have some speculation on that maybe we'll we'll get back to it unless connor wants to weigh in i'm not sure i mean no i don't really have any idea about the the water um or why it's so sacred to them. I just think that they, they're, they're very trigger happy and, you know, yeah, they, they, they're going to jump on anything that's moving like they did almost with Frodo and Sam. So, and especially the way that, um, some of, uh, Faramir's guys, like we're even talking to Frodo, they're just kind of like asshole army guys, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, this chapter was good it, it's uh obviously it's another example where where people are like this weird thing in the distance what could it be and then uh, you know oh, it's Gollum. yeah like you automatically <laughs> know who it is yeah um but you know this is also one of the examples of the few examples where you kind of do feel bad for him um you know frodo has to go down and trick him um i i think this is actually one of Gollum's funniest chapters yeah like I was actually laughing at some of his what he did. Yeah, you know he he's he's a sassy little guy, uh, and uh, you know I, I um I, it was interesting because it obviously does uh, put you know uh, more of a wedge between him and Frodo for a little bit, um, which there already was, but. Um, yeah, I mean that that relationship continues to develop in in strange, intense ways. I guess. Yeah, um, I think there's a couple of things that both of you touched on that I'm going to want to talk about. But I, I first things first, like talking about like what's the deal with the pool. Um, it's funny because I, I get that it's the namesake of the chapter the forbidden pool but i yeah. i took it less of like the pool specifically and more almost like this is the you know i i think i think like the pool denotes what they consider to be like the boundaries of this secret area and so like if you get too close what they consider to be too close to you know maybe even inadvertently discovering you know their their hideout they can't really take any chances. So, like, if you cross this imaginary line in their heads, which I took to be drawn by, like, the pool itself, then it's like, okay, that's too close. You know, you gotta go. Even yeah. even if you're here on accident, like, you just cannot be here because we can't risk having 
this area being discovered. Like this is important for us to have like a sanctuary in the middle of, you know, what is not enemy territory, but you know, like is, is encroached on by the enemy, you know? Um, but I don't know, the more you talked about it, Josh, and thinking about how the name of the title is the forbidden pool, it's like, could it, could it be that there's a uh, more meaning to it? Maybe. I don't know. I, th- I, I, I think your, ex- your self-explanation of how the pool is just like a boundary makes sense. I mean, they've been super tight on security this entire time uh, with this location, but it's the pool itself. is just like, it's in the open. Um, and it's got this great view of Gondor uh, for some reason. So it's just like, I guess they just don't want to see orcs when they look home or something. I don't know. Yeah. It is kind of and interesting. It, Sorry, Josh, go on. I was going to say that if I'm remembering the description correctly, it, the pool also seems to have kind of that same like elven mystery to it. Like it was clearly any decorations were put there by men, but it's. Uh, was it this chapter or the one the next one where Faramir is talking about how men have already diminished? Uh, or was that the last one? I I don't recall, but um, whichever, I, I would say go on with whatever you're trying to connect. Yeah, the, the, this this pool and the, the hideout where they're staying is like one of the last places where the high men used to, uh, as opposed to high elves, and as opposed to people who are just high off their ass, um, would, would reside. So... Yeah, and like as you're talking about it, it makes me think too. Faramir mentions this contrast to it, where so so when um, when when Gollum is like forced, or he doesn't even say it, does he? No, no, he does. He's forced to say that they're going to go to Sirith Ungol, which mm-hmm. is like this path through Minas Tirith, or sorry, uh, Minas Ithil, and uh, Faramir. On top of saying, like, hey, you just shouldn't do that, says, well, if you're going to go, don't drink from the water. It It's called, like, the the Morgul Duin or, like, you get, like, the, the like, an Anduin. You get, like, the Duin yeah, it's like the- suffix meaning river, right? Yep. Um, but at any rate, whatever the fuck it's called, <laughs> my point is that, um, that we kind of get this idea that there's been, like, a corrupted river from their sister city. And so maybe, maybe it is kind of part, maybe it's like less about being connected to the waterfall from this specific hideout and more like, is it kind of all connected to like the, I don't know, like, like not only are the, the cities themselves, Minas uh, Morgul and Minas Tirith, like, not only are they opposed as, like, good and evil, but, like, maybe there's even some sort of opposition in, like, the bodies of water that are connected to them. You know, like, it's important that you don't lose that, like, natural... Uh, like, source. Not- yes, yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I just... It's hmm. not something that I was thinking about as I was reading, but, like... As you brought it up, Josh, I feel like I feel like there could be more there. So it's an interesting place to start and to consider because I was I was not thinking about it, but maybe so, maybe so. Okay. Um. 
Josh, you said you had a lot of notes. Are, are there any notes you I want to start do. off with? Oh, boy, are there. Um, <laughs> uh, that's the last chapter. That's the last chapter. Oh, right. The pen was up the. Okay. Let's see. Um, so I think on the second page of the chapter, we get, I think, our first actual, like, not description, but like actual look at Gondor because he's looking out over the uh, the mountains and can see the white the white mountains of the realm of Gondor. Um, yeah, and I, I I think this whole time we've been in uh, uh, Rohim and uh, pull up the map real quick. Um, let's see. Yeah, we've been. We've been up north the whole time, and when we came south, we were sticking around in, in Rohan and Helm's Deep, and then uh, north of the the mountains there, and now we're just... And then we, we, we cut back to Frodo and Sam, and they're north of Anduin and the Dead Marshes, and they go to Morinon, and then they, they head south, and now we're finally like looking towards Minas Tirith, and and Gondor. So, um, huh. There's a note in here. South Gondor, now a debatable and desert land. Interesting. Uh, never seen that in the, in the map before. Anyway. Yeah, that's, that's sort of what they talked about with, so the previous chapter when the men are coming up from the south, I think that is in reference to that. Hmm. Perhaps. But, uh, yeah, to your point, I get what you mean, where it's like so much has been said about Gondor. Boromir was such a prominent character, and now we have all this focus on Faramir, and it's like still no one has actually been to... None of the... No one from the Fellowship, as we've been reading their perspective, has been to Gondor. And so to have a character get a glimpse of it is intriguing, because it feels like you know, is, you know, does that matter? Um, Is anyone going there? You know, Gandalf, Gandalf and Pippin were like on their way. That's, that's where book one ends of the two towers. But, um, you know, we don't, we don't get any follow up on that. So it is intriguing that he's looking at it. Yeah. Um, let's see. (laughs) Maybe I'll, oh, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, all right. Um, when they're uh, when they're we're, they're spotting Gollum for the first time, uh, Faramir at, Frodo says he's been lured here. Faramir asks, uh, "What what's more precious than than caution?" Uh, or no, sorry. Frodo says he was he was lured here. Something more precious precious than his caution. And Faramir just assumes he meets the ring, and Frodo's like, no, fish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, also, I kind of liked the in that same exchange, uh, Faramir speaks uh, uh, do, do, do. Frodo mentions that Smeagol used to carry the ring for many years, and Faramir's obviously... Uh, very surprised at this this bit of information, and his 
but his, in his response, he just happens to mention the word riddles. And I just thought that was kind of uh, a sneaky reference to Gollum, how, how his first appearance had to do with uh, exchanging riddles. Yeah. Maybe it was right. intentional, Riddle maybe it wasn't, dark. but but it made me think of that. Yeah, so. I like that shout out. It, it It's not something I considered or, or felt like I caught, but I mean, like now that you've said it, you know, it, it, it feels like it would be more likely that it was intentional, intentional than not, right? I, I kind of hope it was. Yeah. That is a cool thought. Um, on this, or, or around this section, um, I have a note I want to jump to. Sure. Uh, so, Frodo, not for the first time, has this chance to easily kill Gollum and he chooses against it and we get this line here you can roll your eyes all you want but on my copy it's page 296 I want 850 (laughs) Um, it's a secret what what page it is for mine I yeah I know I, I was I was even thinking about asking you but I was like you don't have your book next to you oh no, no way I of know knowing. I know exactly Con- there's no way of knowing Con- Congress is lettered with no, in Roman numerals I know exactly <laughs> what page, <laughs> page it is he's on page C C C D V I X yeah I'm just keeping it a secret from you I don't think you would have an X after a V I but I don't think so either I was just starting I was naming random shit it's alright I only. Whatever whatever knowledge I pretend to have is only because I play Final Fantasy. Um, <laughs> but but at any rate, so there's this line. It says, only one true shot and Frodo would be rid of the miserable voice forever. But no, Gollum had a claim on him now. The servant has a claim on the master for service, even service in fear. So... Um... I don't know. I guess I just, I I found this part interesting because like Frodo sort of even, or or rather it's not Frodo, is it? This might actually even be from Sam's perspective. Yeah. I I kind of forget. Um, But, but at any rate, like I think what I want to focus on here with this note, what my intention was is that um, Tolkien creates an opportunity for Frodo to kill Smeagol again. You know, uh, and he again chooses not to. Um, and I, I feel like that is significant because like it, it would be important enough, even just like on the, the first time they, they reunite or I shouldn't even say reunite. Should I? The first time they, they like truly uh, encounter each other. Yeah, come together at the end of, at the beginning of book two here in the two towers, you know. Um, he has he has Sting at his neck. And so, like, Frodo literally in his own hands has the capability to kill Gollum right then and there. Yeah. He chooses not to, which, you know, is great. Um, narratively, I think it's very interesting. And so, like, even more than that, I, I think it's, like, 
Especially interesting that Tolkien creates a situation where Frodo has to choose again. And we even get like some clue in the text, even if it's not directly from Frodo's perspective, where it's like a lot of characters are telling Frodo to kill Gollum. Faramir is like, why are you keeping this wicked creature around you? Sam, obviously, does not <laughs> fucking like him at all. Um, and yet Frodo shows this kind of like unconditional and and sometimes it feels like even a sort of like naive compassion towards Smeagol. Um, and I guess I wanted to pick both of your brains a little bit. I, I know that there's more to say on, like, what happens afterwards. Well, you know, it's like, and we don't have the full scope of what their relationship is, what this may or may not turn into. But, like, for what we've read in this story, how did you feel about Frodo choosing to spare Smeagol yet again? Even more than spare him, he's very actively protecting him. Yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you want to start, Connor? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I think I think I have mentioned this before. Um, he he knows that um, Smeagol plays a part in the plan still, and he knows that Gandalf believes that as well. Um, so so yeah, I think it's it's clear to me why he keeps on protecting him. Um, but the the it, interesting in the writing you know bringing up just how many times he actually has a a you know clean shot at him uh because it does kind of make you think like well are we building up for a moment where he he decides or he you know changes his mind and and uh and lets loose and and um does does murder or attempt to murder him um so i i mean i don't know but I could see that Sorry. kind of being uh, be, kind of being built to that. I, I want to ask you a quick follow-up question to that before we get uh, Josh's thoughts, if he wants to share, too. Um, mm. But, Connor, you're pretty clear. You're thinking that the reason Frodo chooses to continually, <laughs> continually spare Smeagol is because he's remembering, you know, Gandalf's words. Like, Smeagol has this important place to to play in the story. Do you think that's all it is? No, no. I think, I mean, I think that is a big part of it. Um, but I I think he himself believes that and, and you know, thinks, thinks that, you know, obviously uh, Smeagol plays a huge part with the ring and the ring's history. Um, and... And I also just think Frodo is, I don't think he wants to kill a creature. Like, I, I do think he actually takes pity on, on him and doesn't think he deserves death. I don't, you know, I think he is actually, um, you know, more empathetic uh, than, than the others. All right. Is there anything you want to add to that, Josh? No, I think Connor kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think that uh, Frodo is just being more empathetic. I think part of that is an influence from the ring. Um, but I do think he's being more empathetic and trying to do what he thinks Gandalf would want to do. And uh, I mean, pragmatically speaking, uh, Smeagol slash Gollum is the only one they know of 
who has been in and out of Mordor who isn't actively trying to kill them uh, at this point. Not saying he hasn't actively tried to kill them, but he is the only one who knows how to get in and out of Mordor and isn't trying to take the ring uh, by force and kill them. And I keep saying that, but it sounds that's exactly what he is trying to do. But <laughs> like he's he's the only one who's not in a position to do that. Yeah, and I I do get what you're saying, and I, I want to ask you to expand on just one of your thoughts there, which is that um, you said something to the effect of Frodo is more empathetic, and I think that is because of the ring. It's interesting to hear you connect this idea of empathy to the one ring, because I don't think we would usually put those ideas I, uh, with one another. Is, is that no, what you meant? No, I think I think his empathy is a symptom of the ring's influence, not something the ring is causing him to be. I I think the ring wants Gollum to either take it back to um, to its real master, Sauron, or it, it understands that Gollum leading Frodo is the fastest way back to Sauron. So I think the, the ring's influence is this creature can help you get back or get you where you need to go, um, which means you need to be a little bit more empathetic to its its plight. Plus, um, at this point, Frodo's probably feeling the effects of the ring on himself. Like he's mentioned, feeling tired, or uh, like he's seen how it affected how it affected Bilbo, uh, and how he was worn out and tired, even in Rivendell. And now here's Smeagol, this other creature who held the ring for decades. Um, and he may be seeing a bit of himself, like, this is what could become of me if we don't finish this mission. Um, That's a and, great and Smeagol, point. And he could yeah. be seeing a bit of himself in, in Smeagol. And that may bo be both revolting and to, to him and, and like a, a good motivator to treat him with some ounce of kindness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really love where you landed with that. And like, um, I just really want to go back and expand a little bit on what you were saying about how, like, what if the ring is manipulating Frodo to be more empathetic because it would actually, um, it would actually be in service to like a more nefarious end goal. And so it's like really easy to point to the moments where, you know, Frodo is is saying something or acting in a way where it seems more, uh, you know, aggressive. And it's like, oh, mm -hmm. that that must be the ring. Right. Uh, but it's a really, really intriguing insight to think about, like, you know, could it not be that that Frodo is made to seem more compassionate from the ring? But, like, because ultimately it'll be for a darker purpose. That is not something um, I've, like, caught or considered myself. But I, I think it's a really excellent point. You know, we've talked about, or or rather it's been mentioned in the text, like, the, the different ways that the ring can influence people or influence events. It can change its size. It can change how people mm -hmm. feel. Um, but but to think that it may actually increase positive attributes 
in order to achieve, you know, uh, its ultimate desire is a really interesting thought. So I, I'm glad you you took the time to shout that out. Yeah, no, I'd, I've always heard the ring just wants to get back to Sauron. And so I think that's just its motivation as an entity. I don't know if it's like got any free will of its own or anything like that. It's just the ring wants to get back to Sauron. And as far as I know, it can do whatever it wants to subtly influence its way back there. So that's who's to say it can't use what are generally regarded as positive emotions or uh, traits to accomplish that when when needed. I mean, it wouldn't be the first inherently evil entity to put on a, a good face. Yeah, and it may not be the last. Who knows? <clears throat> I don't even mean in Lord of the Rings. I just mean in storytelling or just life. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, certainly. Connor, I, before we go to our next point, I just wasn't, you kind of, uh, you looked like you might want to jump in there. It, was there anything you wanted to, um, to say or you're no, good? No, no. I mean, I, I, it, it just really makes me think deeper about, um, you know, Smeagol's connection to the ring and, you know, how, how, how he's him, him helping Sam and Frodo with this quest is, is like, I don't know, really not in his best interest. And, and when the other, when the other shoe drops, you know, what happens? It's like keeping Smeagol alive does potentially, um, increase the, the chances of the ring getting back into the hands of, uh, Sauron, uh, just because that's, the, there's always the chance there that, Smeagol snaps and and takes the ring and then uh it's 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 in you know more more um chaotic hands so I don't know Yeah absolutely um I don't I I think that was all a really good place to uh to focus on Josh, sounds like you have a lot, a lot more notes, and I, yep. honestly, I have, I have quite a few more myself here, so I will try and go a bit, a bit quicker. But um, okay, you know, yeah, I'll, but... I'll, I'll, I'll never let our notes get in the way of a good discussion. And I, <laughs> no, I think absolutely, that was a, a solid I'll... one. Yeah, I agree. I only have like three notes in the next chapter too, so this will be a. I also do not have a lot for the next one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, literally the same like two pages that my last note was on. Uh, when Frodo goes to talk to Gollum, it says Frodo crept forward, using his hands Gollum-like to feel his way and to steady himself among the rocks. Uh, I thought it was interesting that, I mean, going back to how he might be starting to see a bit of himself in it, or his potential future in Gollum, uh, we're comparing the current ring bearer's mannerisms and actions to the to a previous bearer's current actions of like how he, he acts. He's like saying, like using Gollum's mannerisms to, to climb amongst the rocks quietly and sneak up on him and it works yeah he gets there safely and surprises Gollum. yeah 100 percent uh <laughs> you're on a roll josh i really dig that yeah thank you um 
couple pages later, when Gollum's been captured and they bring him to the table or wherever the, the men are gathered, yeah, they're, they're, they're bringing in dinner. There's like wine and, and food and stuff. And I forget if Gollum's tied up, but I imagine him just like kind of grumpy, tied up, like Looney Tunes style, like just, just like a bundle of rope with a head sticking out at yeah. the dinner table. <laughs> Maybe his feet poking out of the bottom. Exactly. Yeah. Like he was about, like they, they were going to tie up a little railroad track, but they sat up at a dinner table instead. Yeah. Um, do, do, do. So the description is Gollum blinked, uh, hooding the malice of his eyes with, with their heavy pale lids. Uh, a very miserable creature he looked, dripping and dank, smelling of fish, since he still clutched one in his hand. Uh, his sparse locks were hanging like rank weed over his bony brows. His nose was sniveling. And I don't know if I've just forgotten, but I think this is the first time I've read any mention of hair on Gollum. I think it is. It's the first time I can remember as well. I don't know if it's in his original description in The Hobbit. And yeah, I just I just don't know if he, if Tolkien ever mentions hair when he's describing uh, Gollum up until this point. At least not one that I picked up on. Yeah, I've taken and, that I mean, for I've, granted because I, I just imagined him from the movie. So Exactly. Yeah, I, right. I imagined from the movies and then we, we watched the animated Hobbit yeah. uh, a few months ago and I don't. I don't even remember if that frog thing had hair or not. So I don't I just, think it does. Yeah. So it's. Uh, let's wonder. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but you're right. I mean, when I was, I, I also kind of gave pause. Yeah, I took note of that, and I, I was like, oh, you know, it feels like. Uh, Smeagol's portrayal in the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings films is, you know, actually very accurate because like that line, you know, the the just like uh, sparse strands of hair hanging like uh, wet reeds, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. that's such a spot on way to describe what he looks like in those films. You know, he's he's this gross creature with you know, not no hair, uh, <laughs> but but it's you know even patchy is generous. It's uh, it's exactly as it says here in the text. So it was another one of those like as I was reading the description, it almost feels like it's filling in blanks and being like, oh wow, like I didn't realize actually just how faithful the Peter Jackson films are. Sometimes yeah. I hear like statements to the contrary of that, and I, you know, Josh, are even mentioning like we're kind of in a section of the two towers that, from our memory, is omitted from the film. Obviously, we will come back to that after we watch it, and we will yep. discuss that if it's true or not. Um, but, but like ultimately, the more I read these books, the more I feel like, wow, I can really see why these films just caught on the way that they did from from critics and fans alike, because, like, reading the the text, it feels like, wow, you know, this could be a novelization of the films instead of the other way around, you know? <laughs> a bit, yeah. So, so ultimately, yeah, descriptions like that, I it, it did stand out to me, because it, it feels like, oh, that... I mean, imagine imagine you're tasked with making Smeagol in live action. 
before anyone else has done it. You know, you you go to the books and you find these descriptions. I have to imagine, um, and so it's it's cool to see like what it was and what it became. So I, I mm-hmm. like that too. Um, just really quick, I do like yes. right after that that segment. Uh, Faramir explained to Gollum why they captured him and uh, tonight. But tonight you have come uh, where it is death to come. The fish of this pool are dearly bought. Gollum dropped the fish shit from his hand. Don't want fish, he said. <laughs> just, <laughs> that's real funny. Just like, I imagine him just like mumbling it. Just like, don't want fish. Yeah. <laughs> like a kid. He, he really is just kind of like, like a bratty kid in this chapter where he doesn't understand why he's in trouble, but he also like gets it and is just trying to avoid getting in trouble the whole time. Right. And then it is, it's funny too, because then Faramir is like, well, it's not even about the fish, is it? Mm, <laughs> it's yeah. like, it is and it isn't. Um, and in fact, <clears throat> I have a quick note on that since you're talking about it, but um, I thought it was, um, well, so, so uh, just a couple pages after where I was referencing before, page 298. Like you're saying, Gollum says he doesn't want fish. And then um, he's like, loose us, loose us. And, and Smeagol's saying that he's done nothing wrong. And Faramir says nothing, said Faramir, looking at the wretched creature with a keen glance, but without any expression in his face, either of anger or pity or wonder. Nothing. Have you never done anything worthy of binding or of worse punishment? And... Uh, <laughs> Actually, I said that was just after. In fact, it's just prior to what you're referencing, Josh. But, yep. um, but like that line, I thought was so interesting because obviously Faramir has all the power in this situation, and you know, Smeagol. I I forget who mentioned it, but it's like you know, Smeagol is very sympathetically and pitifully portrayed in this chapter here. And I felt like with a line like that, you know, in my mind, Faramir is, um, you know, very clearly abusing and and almost like showing off his power. It's like, Smeagol's like, you know, what the fuck have you kidnapped me for? You know, I'm just, uh, I'm hungry and I went to get some fish out yeah. of the fucking river. And Faramir's like, really? You've never done anything in your whole life that might not warrant this potential but unrelated future consequence. And it's like, what the fuck? Who made you, like, judge, jury, and would-be executioner, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of even saw, I feel like, when, when Faramir's first questioning Frodo and Sam, Faramir has some lines or even some descriptions about, like, how his expression, you know, holds neither like good or evil, uh, which we kind of get a line alluding to here and the way that, um, you know, Faramir is very quick to be like, well, these are the rules that I made unbeknownst to you and you've broke them unbeknownst to you. And the Mm -hmm. consequence unbeknownst to you is death. And because I made those rules, you know, that, in almost any other situation is exactly what would happen. And so I, I just felt like uh, this was a, an interesting point to focus on because Faramir has proven himself to be like very 
uh, hospitable and welcoming and kind-hearted for the most part for like Frodo and Sam. Well, when he knows when it's it's um because I mean that's how he he approached you know Frodo and Sam as well, right? In in the beginning, like that just because right. it's it, you know it's kind of like he is the this this ruler, and these are like uh yeah. war times it's you know so it's it, it's yeah. like everything's on high alert and it's like uh you know his his kingdom is under martial law you know so he's like on exactly on, on high guard so um yeah he he does act very uh um strictly he does and it's like it's like, okay, you know, we kind of get the situation that creates him to act this way. Like, there there are real threats that we see. There's the men from the south. There's the orcs from Mordor, right? Like, there's a reason to be on patrol. Um, but there's not a lot of wiggle room. There, there's not a lot of, like, amending of, uh, of those rules that would otherwise be in, enforced for you know, wicked or evil creatures. And, um, I just, I think it's especially interesting because in the last, in the last episode, when it's revealed that Faramir is Boromir's brother, Faramir kind of makes a big point of how he's like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm different from Boromir. You know, uh, you know, Boromir is a a bit hot headed, you know, he's a bit quick to, uh, bravado. You know, he's the one who wants to run out into the battlefield and start lopping off heads Faramir's like, I'm not about that, you know. If I if I had the one ring, I wouldn't use it. I, I don't care, you know. It's not for me. I, I don't want it. That's not how I am. Um, and then he immediately goes around and does this. Yeah, like, I I do think he's right to say that he's different from Boromir, but I, I, I think instead of... I think instead of him not having those qualities that he sees so clearly in Boromir, it's a matter of degrees. You know, I think the same yeah. qualities are present in Faramir, but yeah, let me just say diminished. this. You can tell they're brothers. <laughs> yeah. Right? You can tell they're brothers. So, uh, I, I just wanted to draw a little bit of focus to this part, but only because, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting that, um, you know, Faramir is largely portrayed as a good guy, but I think even Tolkien's aware in his writing that um, it's, you know, he has some very heavy-handed things to say here and Frodo's actually the one who's kind of coming back at him with like a bit more nuance um so I don't know I, I think you know without having like dug very deeply into it but I, I think we've kind of seen all three of us from just like tangentially seeing things on Tolkien online uh, a criticism or or something that's levied at Tolkien sometimes is that his characters are very black and white very good or evil you know um and 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 nothing in between but like i kind of caught myself thinking like i don't think that's true for a character like faramir because you know largely what he does is is good and helpful for our characters our heroes here but i i don't think he does it without a little bit of uh uh i don't know darker tendencies underlying some of it that's all um, I never, I honestly never understood when people criticize things being too black and white, like character development. Like, yeah, it, it's it's always great when someone can can do like a 
very nuanced character, but sometimes you don't need nuance for a story to be good. Sometimes just beating you over the head with something is good in its own right, which is a weird thing to say, but yeah, I think you're right. And honestly, some honestly, some people could really use the beat beat stuff that beats you over the head a bit more. <laughs> no, I think you're right. Um, I don't know. My my mind instantly, it's like you know, I'm not I'm not ever watching Star Wars and thinking like you know, I really wish they dug more into Palpatine's motives. It's like. Yeah, he just loves he's, him because he's unabashedly evil. He's yeah, he's just an evil dude who shoots lightning out of his fingertips. Yeah, Vader, Vader at first was literally just a guy who just shows up and just chokes a bitch out and then uh, kills kills Obi Wan, and then he's and then he gets blown up. That's all Vader is in the first movie. They don't start adding any kind of nuance to him until like the end of the second movie, where it's just like, I'm actually your father. Right. Spoilers, by the wow. way. Yeah. Spoiler alert, Josh. Come on. What the I fuck? love that part. I love that part where where Darth Vader goes to Luke. He says, "Dude, I'm actually your father." <laughs> That's like your best part. Dude, where's my father? Yeah. Um, no, I, I, you're right though, Josh. I, I do think it's also kind of a, uh, I don't know, a bit of a close-minded complaint. Because it yeah. doesn't really address what having a, a clear-cut, you know, good and evil characters accomplishes either. It, you know, adding mm-hmm. adding more nuance or complexity does not always make a story better or more interesting. Yeah, and I mean, having having someone who's just like a moral compass is just bl- is the the black and white good guy uh, can be beneficial for a group, uh, or just having a clear-cut black and white bad guy like Sauron or uh, like the orcs. It's just like it's sometimes you just need that in a story. Yeah. Or, or it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt the story if, if it's black and white like that. So anyway, no, I, I agree. And it's even more interesting because I feel like the more we read Lord of the Rings, it's it's not even that it's one or the other. I think it's that it contains both. Like I do think that there are characters that are like yeah um, on black on and very white opposing spectrum. Right. It's like this this character is just evil. But some of them, you know, it's like the more you learn about them, it's like would you say Saruman is just evil? I kind of feel like from what we learned about him at the end, I'm not so sure. You know. Yeah, he's more just he's more of a fallen good guy. Right who didn't take the chance to redeem himself before the, the end of the chapter we last yeah. saw him in. <laughs> and and how could you describe, you know, despite Connor's um, feelings on it, how could you describe Boromir as just holy good or holy evil? Like, I feel mm. like Boromir's whole character is that he contains both, you know? Um, right. I'm not denying that. He's just an asshole. <laughs> he's just, he's just a can, bit of a dick. Not all assholes are evil. Yeah. So it's it's funny because, yeah, like I, I think you could, you know, levy that at some characters in Lord of the Rings. But it's like as as soon as you expand your scope to like the entire cast or the entire story, it's like it kind of falls apart. You know, if that's if that's what you think about Lord of the Rings, the only thing it tells me is that you either haven't read it or you're not really engaged with the text. It it feels weird hearing someone who's. Barely halfway through the story. The I, I, hey, yeah, I know. You haven't I, read the text, have you? But I, yeah, but I mean, but you're like, right. That's, 
that's what I'm feeling as it's like, I've come to this conclusion because I've read what I have. And so if someone were to come at me with like the opposite view, I'd be like, well, how are you going to support that with the text, buddy? Where is that coming from? It feels like that's an opinion that would come from ignorance rather than understanding. So, yes. There we have it. But you're also right to call me out. <laughs> but also, also, I'm the host Gotta of the podcast, so it's a, li- it's a little fucked up, Josh. I mean, come on. Like, you can't just... <laughs> Gotta keep like you the honest. God of the podcast. I, thank you, Connor. Exactly right. He could smite you if he um, wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I do. Oh. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> Love you. Here we go. My uh, my my wife just brought me some some booze. Brag about it. Some uh, what do they call? What do the orcs have that they that they load Mary and Pippin up with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever, like their their orc elixir is. Um, I was trying to reference that. We gotta get through our notes a bit more here. Uh, yeah. Um. So when, when, and I when Faramir, yeah, when Faramir says, uh, oh, wow, we're like an hour in already. Damn. All right. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I'm not. No, I, I think I'm almost done here with, I think I only okay. have two more notes in this chapter. Um, right. Where's the chapter end? Yeah. I only got two more notes. Um, so it's just a bit of a quirk of the English language I found. Um, when Faramir is uh, basically like coming to his decision about what's going to happen next, uh, he says, then I will declare my doom. Uh, as for you, Frodo, and so lies. But to me, it's like, he doesn't mean his doom is in his, his bitter end. He He's using doom as just like, this is what I have to do. It, it's more it's almost positive in the way he's declaring it. I've, I've never really seen the word doom used in the sense of a meaning other than some evil fate befalling you. Like usually you hear it as like, we're doomed yeah. uh, to die or something like that. Um, so it's just one of those quirks of the English language where it's like, Oh, I guess it could technically be used that way, but no one does in our modern understanding of the language. Yeah. We've run up and it's, against a and few it's things like, like that with Tolkien. Right, some of that might be differences between English and English, British English and American English. But another part of that is there's a hundred years difference between when the book was written and, uh, or almost a hundred years difference between when this book was written and when we when we're reading it. Uh, but even then, I don't think a word like doom would change in meaning so much, especially since the written word is so much more prevalent and. I don't know. I've, I want to say, like, I feel like language is kind of like crystallizing a bit more. It doesn't change as much, but it it, it that's probably not a good take. That's language mm. is still changing and quite a bit. It's, no, it's one no. of those. I don't think it's. I don't think it's, it's um, stopped. We've reached end of history. Well, it definitely hasn't because uh, I think it's just hard to observe <laughs> within a single lifetime. It so is. It, yeah, it might appear right. that things aren't changing, but like, 
you know, in a hundred years from now, you know, maybe it'll, it'll guys, guys. Different. Okay. So, so, okay. I'm, I'm going to interject a little bit and this is, this is related. Okay. But I had this thought and I, I was going to ask, uh, I was going to bring this up on, on one of the podcasts we do. Um, great. And this made me think of it. Why, it's gotta so, be this one. Wh- why are there, why are there no new animals anymore? Like they don't make new animals. You know what I mean? Like, we, we like, well, like, like we don't have any like new, they? like uh, God, like he just doesn't make any new animals anymore. It's kind of why like did Pokemon. why did you feel like any of our podcasts was the place <laughs> to bring this up? Ah, I thought it would be a fun discussion to have, but you know, it's like evolution. We is have a enough thing. to talk about already, buddy. Evolution is a thing, and and like we were all all of our uh, us uh, our you know creatures walking the earth, like we. We haven't been here forever, but like there were like new ones popping up all the time, and it's like I feel like these days. Do you know what happened, Connor? You don't get new creatures popping up. You know what happened? What? Too many people started participating in No Nut November. Fuck! <laughs> wow! <laughs> you just gotta give it to him because I did it. not think we were circling back around that to that. Was I good. mean, hats that was off good. to you. That was gosh. a that that was a, a home run right there. Thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, I just—I feel like I just have to say though, Connor. Do you know how many new animals are discovered every year? No, because no. if you think the answer is zero, you're like wildly—it's incorrect. Literally, literally, thousands of new species are described every year. But is it, every but, year? But are they new or just they haven't been discovered yet? Undiscovered. So, it's it's disco- yeah it it, it the, it's called dis- uh, the term I used was described like they're they're described in literature so they are technically discovered is how I understand it yeah but, um, but they're not as for new. well some of them are some of them are have evolved since uh, uh, records began which those those tend to be the smaller uh, faster lived creatures well, no uh, I'm usually, talking about like uh, actual like real animals like a dog or something like a new kind of dog. <laughs> You know, I well, think there's probably more dogs you know being the, made than you recognize, buddy. No, yeah, not, you know no. the golden retriever is only like 200 years old, right? Dog, I mean, like dogs dog. are dogs are one of the worst examples you could possibly give. You know how many fucking dogs, Connor? No, no. <laughs> you want to talk about God? You're not understanding. You want to talk about fucking you're God? Not Guess who made dogs, buddy? Guess where yeah. dogs came you're from? You're not understanding me. I'm not saying different kinds of dogs. I'm saying animals like a dog, like a different. Like a, you know, how oh, you dogs, mean dog or cat or yeah, you know how there's like dogs and cats, like dogs and cats, and then something else. Like there's like they don't have another. There's not not another version of that. Like dog, like like dog status animal. You know what I mean? Like that just says they, they they don't make those anymore. So you're you're saying you want you want there to be a, a completely new like God, when, when did family you, of life? You know, yeah. When they don't make those anymore? Yeah. When did you think they were making them? Did you did you think like as soon as you became aware of them they were made like did, did giraffes only exist when you learned about it when you were four the fuck are you talking about oh no no I'm 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 just saying like since I've been no, that's born, discovery since I've been born there's like there hasn't been that kind of animal like that that's been made well the other problem is that how we classify creatures is such it it is so much of a clusterfuck like even to this day the the the, the tree of life that you hear so much about. That has changed so much in the last like fifty years. Uh, 
like how it, people argue, especially since DNA evidence has become a thing, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, the, the shrew's related more to the elephant than to the mouse? What the hell? Okay. I just think it would be cool if there's a different kind of animal that popped this, up. This is, this is so a, a off topic. fascinating discussion. It is. But Connor has decided to play his little role as the gremlin of the podcast. <laughs> And he just has to, he doesn't have anything else to weigh in on the chapter. He's just sitting oh, no, here waiting kind of like for us to get to the next one. Because he, he doesn't have anything like else to say. Changing and and he's, he's, you know, you just got to jump in here and be the little gremlin of the podcast. <laughs> it was just kind of, I mean, I, I do think it was related to the discussion. It wasn't just out of nowhere, you know. It's very far off. That That was so far out of left field. Well, uh, we were talking about the English and, language and, and, and you know doom. what? We even we addressed it. It's been addressed. We well, hey. we took your comment into consideration and Josh and I both responded and now it's over. So we, you know, listeners, we're, if, we're if I am wrong, I would love to be proven wrong. Please, like if, if there's a different kind of dog, well not like a dog, but like a dog status animal that's like new, um, please please hit us, like DM us. I you know, I wanna know if it's like there's new animals being made by God these days. Let me know. Would it count? Would it count if humanity created such an animal? Dog or snake or cat or bird? Um, or- yeah, I think so. I think I think it would count because we're because because like we are we are nature. So if we made it, it would just be nature creating something out of nature. All right, there you go. Dog, <laughs> cat, and pretty much any domesticated animal. We're in the process of making foxes domesticated. There's some people trying to do that. Yeah, it's not what I'm talking about, but but thank you. Literally, any domesticated animal is exactly what you're talking about. They they tend to be completely different species well, well, no, from but the they ones that they, they... But, but they existed before. I'm just I'm saying, like if they okay, if they yeah, okay, yeah. Now I see what you're doing, and we're we're gonna move on. I have one more note for this chapter. All right, Josh, which, let's hear your note, and then I'll go through my last uh, ones as well. So I put it at the end of the chapter, but it was just something I kept picking up on. As Faramir was talking to Bo- to Frodo, is just he just seems to be a bit of a mind reader, doesn't he? Faramir, yeah. he he always seems to like know what's on somebody's mind or what they're thinking, uh, or, or how they, they might be thinking, and he he basically just guesses that they have the ring on them at one point until Sam blurts it out. And it's just, um, and then at this at the end here, he's like. Um, it's a hard doom and a hopeless errand, said Faramir, but at least remember my warning before of this guide, Smeagol. Uh, he has done murder before now. I read it in him. It's just like, oh yeah, mind reader. That's the term I've been thinking of this entire time as I've been reading. Yeah, he's he's very clever. He's good at picking up on, bit- on uh, like, you know, cues, you know, he, he can read people's faces very well. He, yeah, yeah. He's very measured. He's very insightful. Yeah, he's more in tune with like, uh, yeah, his, his his observations. And so he's he's like a powerful ally and a, you know, a formidable enemy. And I, you know, he, I think he kind of plays both sides of that a bit. You know, we mentioned when he was when he was still kind of uh, questioning Frodo and Sam initially in the previous episode, um, you know, those, those same skills that he, he puts the good use here, you know, when they're, when they're set against you, uh, yeah, I, I think he's, he's intimidating. That's how I would describe Faramir. Yeah. 
Um, all right, there's a few things I want to touch on before we go into the next part. Um, so, so after Gollum's captured, uh, Sam is like, oh, man, so you got him and all that. And Frodo's like, yeah, I feel really bad about it. And then Sam says, so do I, said Sam. Really? There's there's even a section just a few pages earlier in this chapter, just a few pages prior to this, I... in this very same chapter, where Sam thinks, like, like Faramir is saying, should we shoot this creature? And Frodo says no. And then Tolkien writes something to the effect of, like, you know, if Sam had the courage and they waited a few moments longer, he would have said yes to just kill him. Mm-hmm. I, I, when, I, when Sam said that, I, I took it as... Uh, 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 he feels bad that they didn't kill him. Not that they. Oh, yeah. Not not that they uh, scared him or whatever it was. Maybe because he does. He follows it up with, and nothing will ever be all right where that piece of misery is. But that's why I took it to be like kind of contradictory because I thought he was agreeing with Frodo. Like, yeah, I feel bad we had to trick him, and I was like, do you? But I guess. I, I think he feels bad that Frodo went through all. Yeah, that Frodo went through all that in the first place when he should have just, you know, offed him when he had the chance. Yeah, and maybe Again. the last thing on on Smeagol's capture, but just prior to this too, when when Frodo is, you know, luring Smeagol, and he says, um, uh, Frodo says, Smeagol. Precious will be angry. I shall tell Precious, and I shall say, make him swallow the bones and choke. Never taste fish again. Come, Precious is waiting. And this was the kind of my note in the chapter where I was thinking about, like, the ring's influence on Frodo. Because I felt like, regardless of Frodo's intent, I felt like it was sort of sinister to, um, not only to just trick Smeagol in that way, but like to do so with the ring itself. And I know that that's a lot of what the chapter hinges on. Like Frodo reflects on that and he feels bad about it. That's what we're talking about as well. But that was kind of like my moment where I was like, that doesn't feel like a way that Frodo would handle this situation. Otherwise, you know, Frodo wouldn't do this. This is like an out of character moment for Frodo. Um, and so I kind of attributed that to the ring because for him to be like, you know, conniving and manipulative in that way, you know, is very unhobbit like. So I, I thought it was interesting that not only does he do it, but that he evokes the ring in doing so as well. So I, I felt like there was sort of a connection there that I wanted to touch on quick. Um, and then we've talked about a few other things I have here, so I'm just going to skip over them. Uh, and then, like, sort of towards the end of the chapter, uh, Faramir, on my copy, page 301, he says that he thinks Frodo should leave Gollum. And I liked their discussion, too, because it's like, Faramir's a man of honor, and he, you know, Frodo's like, so what, would I just make a promise and then break it? and lie to him and Faramir's like yeah that's kind of fucked up like you know we wouldn't just make a promise and break it like that's yeah, fucked up but he's like, I see still, your point 
Like it's a yeah, yeah. Like which you know, without perceptive Faramir is and how influenced Frodo could be right now from the ring. I I I do feel like he probably knows better or can think about it more with a clearer head than Frodo can. So that makes me think that something you know shit is going to go down between or or because of Gollum being around them or you know um right so we will see yeah yeah maybe so i mean i definitely think we are meant to have that thought looming over us and i think tolkien's done a lot of work to sort of have the reader uh you know feel feel very hesitant about like continuing you know there's this sense of like trepidation because uh because you know pretty much everybody is telling frodo you know you do not want to be mixed up with this golem guy and frodo's like nah it'll be fine Fine. (laughs) it'll be fine um, but I think it's done really well because it's, it's not like when you're watching a bad horror movie and you're like, oh, don't fucking go in there. And then like they get stabbed, you know, it's it's not that anything that Frodo does is out of stupidity or convenience to the plot. We see at every instance exactly why Frodo makes the decisions that he does, mm-hmm. exactly why he chooses to keep Smeagol around some of it's up for discussion which we kind of talked about earlier but i think that's a matter of interpretation and less that there are reasons to justify why he's doing it right so i really like the tension that tolkien is building here with their dynamic because none of it feels like it is simply to drive the plot forward or to create moments of drama without the characters having any like agency or sense of their own they're, they're, they're like very aware of the risks and they're choosing to go forwards with them. They're weighing the options and they're saying, yeah, like I get it. I get what you're saying. And like in a way kind of addressing the thoughts of the reader and saying like, well, this is why I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. And then like, so the, the very closing of the chapter... Um, I wanted to mention, so, so, so Faramir says, after they talk about going to, uh, Sirith Ungol, because Gollum's plan, the only way he knows to how to get into Mordor, other than the Black Gate, is through this path, uh, through, uh, Minas Morgul, formerly Minas Ithil, the sister city of Minas Tirith. Founded by a sealed or Ellen Deal back in ages past. And uh, this is what Faramir has to say on it. The Valley of Minas Morgul passed into evil very long ago, and it was a menace and a dread while the banished enemy dwelt yet far away. Anathelion was still, for the most part, in our keeping. As you know, that city was once a strong place, proud and fair. Minas Ithil, the twin sister of her own city. But it was taken by fell men, whom the enemy in his first strength had dominated, and who wandered homeless and masterless after his fall. It is said that their lords were men of Numenor, who had fallen into dark wickedness. 
To them, the enemy had given rings of power, and he had devoured them. Living ghosts they were become. Terrible and evil, after his going, they took Minas Ithil and dwelt there, and they filled it, and all the valley about with decay. It seemed empty, and was not so, for a shapeless fear lived within the ruined walls. Nine lords there were, and after the return of their master, which they aided and prepared in secret, they grew strong again. Then the nine riders issued forth from the gates of horror, and we could not withstand them. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, he's talking about the Nazgul there. Exactly! And their history. And so, uh... You know, we're, we are getting towards the very end of the two towers. And it, it just feels like we're going into... I don't know. Like, the Fellowship, the Nazgul, are such a constant presence and threat. And then, like, they're just... Wa- it's like, oh, the river took them away, okay. And every now and then, you know, very momentarily, maybe we'll get a bit of their presence. Oh, they're flying or something. Who knows what's up? <laughs> um, but I like that we get a bit more on, like, their their past and their role. So, like, I this... Uh, there's a lot that, like... I think Tolkien has mentioned that maybe has gone over my head prior, but I, you know, just, just essentially focusing on the fact that, um, so the Nazgul were men of Numenor. So the same lineage and line of men as Aragorn and as, yeah, you know, you know, if not, not quite the men of Gondor who are stewards, right. And, and sort of a splinter from that, but, um, you know, essentially, they, they're sort of, we've heard so much about Numenor because of Aragorn's lineage and his history and what, like, he represents. And to have Faramir, like, so clearly explain that the Nazgul are sort of like a shadow of that or a fallen version of that. Kind of like how Josh, you were mentioning, like Saruman is like a fallen hero. You know, Saruman was an equal of Gandalf, and then he fell to darkness, and and like so too were the Nazgul. You know, potentially like equals to Aragorn, but um, you know now now they Hmm. have like succumbed to this dark fate. And I don't say now as if it was like recent. You know, this was like back when they were still making animals. Like this was like a long time. (laughs) Um, but they've sort of been in that like perpetual like stagnation. So, so I just liked the connection. It feels like a lot of pieces are being brought together and it's like, okay, like I, I, I get that we're like bringing in the whole Minas Tirith thing. And then I like the contrast with, oh, Minas Ithil, which is fallen and it's Minas Morgul. But, but not only that, like Minas Morgul or Minas Ithil fell to become Minas Morgul because of the Nazgul. And not only that, but it seems like the Nazgul themselves played, like, this key role in the revival of Sauron. And, like, it it feels like they're being given more prominence as we're kind of getting into the conclusion of this story. And I just liked that they were brought into this section. And, and it feels like we learned a little bit more about them. That, you know, um... 
talking about mm-hmm. every character having kind of a dark mirror um and and uh it's it, it makes me think back to what Josh said about um Frodo and Smeagol and uh, them kind of being you know having empathy Frodo having empathy for for uh Smeagol because you know that that could be him or you know it's it's kind of a cautionary tale of what could happen to you and I think that's it's interesting because I mean, you can look at, at that as, you know, the same as, as uh, you know, these other characters having their, their darker, um, uh, um, you know, mirrors. And the thing that's missing is, is the empathy there. And so you can't help but think like, you know, I don't know, is, is, is that a, a key that's missing, you know, do like can't they see that that you know these are their their you know brothers and you know their their fallen friends um yeah i mean and, and it, that that does make it a little bit less black and white yeah too. yeah i really like that idea and i wonder if we will like get get any more of that or, or expand on that as we go into the last uh, book of this <clears throat> series here with uh, Return of the King. Um, I don't really know what we're in store for in that regard. Um, so maybe we'll come back to that idea more and more, but um, but I, I definitely see what you mean and I like what you have to say on it. Um because we, for as much lore as we're given, like, we're not really meant to think about, like, oh, is it tragic that the nine kings of Numenor fell to darkness and became Nazgul? You know, you're really just meant to see them as, um, like, obstacles and enemies for the heroes to overcome. I, I do think maybe there's a sense of, like, tragedy to it, but not a sense of sympathy yeah, which we I get mean, with Gollum. We don't really get the the um, the sense that like any of these characters really kind of can see themselves. It like you know it seems like Aragorn and and people like that of that stature are like, well, I I could never fall to to dark forces. You know what I mean? Like there's almost a uh, form of like, oh, I I I would die, you know, rather than then that be my fate um which which i don't think is true you know so yeah i agree that's that's what i like about boromir as a character because like i i think that he holds those same ideals but when it comes to his actions you know he's not able to he's not able to hold himself to that standard yeah absolutely I, I think, you know, the story shows us it's not it's not a flaw of Boromir. It's that he's normal, you know, like to withstand the temptation is to have a virtue that is like above and beyond like any any average virtue. 
And I, I think like Boromir's defining characteristic is that he's he's a man of like normalcy. You know, I mean, and even within his <laughs> even within his uh, you know group, like everyone talks about Boromir. You know, he's not even right. Like he is a noble, and he has these like grand achievements and characteristics even among the men of Gondor. So it's not that simple, but like essentially. He's just a guy, even a chump, if you will. And, you know, he falls to temptation, you know, because he, he doesn't have, like, the, the strength to withstand uh, the overpowering domination of the most evil artifact in all of history. And it kind of feels like you got to cut him some slack, you know? Um so I, I know exactly what you mean, Connor, because I do think I do think some characters, especially in the Fellowship, you know, they're sort of written to be like, oh, well, you know, that they 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 sort of have transcended that, and it's like, well, you know, would we not see them struggle? You know, is is it does it seem in line that you know they would not um, have a challenge in that regard? I don't know. I, I think that there's a larger discussion to be had there because I think some of that comes back to like what's up with Tolkien? Are the characters black and white or are they nuanced? Yeah. I think that would be kind of wrapped up in that discussion. It's like, well, if they if they never seemingly struggle against any temptation with the ring, then you know wh what does that inform us about their characters? But I'm not so sure it's as simple as that either, and I'm not sure we're gonna have the full scope of that discussion just yet. But I. I think what you're saying is a really important piece of it. And, you know, maybe it would be interesting if uh, if we got, you know, even some small reflections, you know, thinking about how, you know, yeah, like like these these characters fates who we consider to be evil, you know, could just as easily befall one of us if we let our guard down. Yeah. And, and yet we don't see that from them. Absolutely. Um, so well, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> um, okay, and uh, literally my last note when when Faramir is saying that they should, if Faramir is like, whatever you do, don't go to Sirith Ungol. There's all these rumors about it. It's pretty bad. Don't do it. And Frodo's response is like, what would you have me do? He's like, you know, I have the One Ring. So. He's like, do, do I do I just give up? You know, do I just not go to Mordor at all? And then what? You know, so I, I just have the most coveted dark artifact within my possession, just like waiting for myself to be murdered and have it forcibly taken from me to allow the destruction of all Middle Earth. Like, do, do I just go like pretend I don't have it? No. Oh, Okay. So, so, so what am I going to just like roll? He's like, he, ha I don't have the page, but he has this line where he's like, uh, you know, would, would Minas Tirith fall and become a, a second Minas Morgul? And like, you know, they're, they're like grinning at each other over a decayed landscape. He's like, what do you want? You're telling yeah. me not to do it because it's dangerous. But, but Frodo is like, what other option do I possibly have? And I really appreciated his response 
for the dual purpose of kind of what we already touched on, which is one, I feel like it addresses some preemptive reader uh, questions where it's like, you know, it's like, you know, couldn't, couldn't the characters do this? Couldn't this happen instead? And Frodo's like, are you fucking kidding me? The only place I could theoretically go at all that makes any sense is into Mordor. And if I only have one way to get in there, then I literally have to make that decision. Um, and two, the way that he says this, the way that he addresses that to Faramir is through his anger. Like, Frodo does not say this as like a measured response where he's like sitting there having like a calm, calm debate. Yeah. You know, Frodo, I mean, like, I think largely restrains himself. He's not like screaming at Faramir, but you know, I, I think we also kind of get the impression that he, his, his, his emotions are heightened here. And I think it's easy to say like, Oh yeah, that's because of the ring. And you know, I think, I think you can attribute it to that. Um, but, but I like that he brings it up and I like that he does it in a fashion that is, um, I guess like as aggressive as it is, it, it feels like Frodo is like forced more and more to stand up for speak himself. Up. Exactly. You know, he, he's constantly reminded. It's like, well, Gandalf's not here. Frodo's like, I know Gandalf's not here. I know Gandalf probably wouldn't have done this, but Frodo, you know, he's like, Gandalf's fucking dead for all I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, what am I supposed to do? Faramir, you know, just sit on my ass. And just like wait to die, just wait for the fucking Nazgul to descend upon me and rip my soul to shreds and steal the ring. Like, is that better? Um, Faramir's like, wow, geez, okay, like <laughs> I get it. Um, so that was that was the last thing I wanted to address with that chapter. I know we spent a lot of time on this chapter, but it was a dense one. Yeah, clearly we had a lot to discuss. About so as I'm long as a whole episode. It. Well, you know, this next one, we're, we're going to go half as long as an episode, Lightning so don't rounds. you worry, buddy. Uh, we're going to take a quick five. A yeah, tight five, rather. Tight five. A tight, fi- a tight five. Papa's got a piz. We already said we were going to take a break, so you didn't have to announce what you Papa's were doing. Papa's got a piz. Okay. Here we go. We are going to be discussing chapters. Cha- chapter 7, Journey to the Crossroads. So in this chapter, Faramir bids farewell to Frodo, Sam, and Gollum. Um, you know, helps them out of... Well, helps them is out of doing a lot of work. You know, it's like... Um, there is a process to leaving the, the hideout. Um, but essentially... He guides them out of it and, um, you know, gives them like rations and supplies and bids them farewell and good luck. And then we're back to Frodo, Sam, Gollum as the trio making their way still to Sirith Ungol slash Minas Ithil to get into Mordor or, uh, you know, Minas Morgul, whatever the fuck, who cares? Um, a lot of this chapter 
it you know in it's it's a bit of a sandwich where like it kind of starts with the characters bidding farewell then we get some walking around in the woods in the middle part and then the end is um you know literally getting to the crossroads itself where they then need to continue towards Sirith Ungle and we don't really get that next part um so, so this is leaving uh, the waterfall hideout of Faramir and, and getting to this crossroads where these two main roads meet. Um, and then the characters, you know, continue on their way towards Sirith Ungol, led by Smeagol. And then some other shit happens in between those two parts. Connor, when did you even read this chapter? Um, I read this chapter uh, earlier today. Yeah, like uh, like like around uh, two thirty or three. So it's it's nice. reason. And I read the last chapter yesterday or yesterday. Yeah, I think so. But um, yeah. So uh, it was pretty fresh, and you know, even though it's another wandering around chapter, it's very cool it I, I i enjoyed it it's tense and different you know they're kind of in the in the shit we're heading into the the deep shit right now um and so yeah I, I, it's 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 pretty spooky um obviously smeagol is 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 very concerned for good reason um and then you know I, I I really like uh how it ends, especially with kind of like a brief moment of hope before darkness consumes them again with uh, the fallen statue of the king and everything and I forget yeah. I, I, I forget exactly what frodo thinks but but um yeah, it kind of feels like oh like a real a, a little glimmer of of optimism and hope shines through um at the very end when when you kind of thought it was was gone you know uh so yeah yeah a hundred percent that's um that my my note on that moment is hope remains but darkness still holds greater power yeah yeah that's that's the feeling i've because it's like you do you do get that last glimmer of hope and i feel like importantly it's from the setting sun so like yes. you get the light, but then it goes away. Exactly. So like it's not it's not gone, but like it's not like present either. You know. Yeah, it's, and it's just barely shining through. And it's impactful because it wasn't it it was not present for most of this chapter. You know, it's like they're like, wow, like when is the daytime? Or you know, around these parts, and it's just like mm-hmm. always dark. Like, and, yeah. And Sam, you know, is like, oh, is there a storm coming? And uh, you know think there kind of is maybe not literally but it 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 does give you the impression that um they're like on the literal verge of like something really heavy and important um like things are actually going to happen you know i think it's a it really feels like a good uh cliffhanger or or like note to end end it on it kind of feels like like a like in a tv show like this would be like the uh the ending of like the the second to last episode of the season or something yeah exactly and i like that you brought up like sam talking about is it going to storm i kind of forgot until you mentioned that but 
the beginning of this chapter, as as Faramir is um, like talking to the hobbits and kind of bidding them farewell, he he has this line. He says. Um, a waiting silence broods above the nameless land. I do not know what this portends, but the time draws swiftly to some great conclu- conclusion. Storm is cu- coming. Hasten while you may. So the chapter opens with that idea, too, that there's a storm coming. And it's like, oh, is it literal? And it's like, maybe, but you definitely get the idea that there's this like figurative sense of like a some some great calamity or storm that's sort of representative of like you know this final battle yeah and i feel like the entire chapter does a great job at kind of um illustrating that yeah josh you look like an oncoming storm (laughs) yeah something something oncoming storm (laughs) yeah we're talking about doctor who before we jump back in so yeah it's it's not a subtle metaphor but um you know, it doesn't just like just like uh, great characters don't need nuance necessarily. You know, great metaphors don't need subtlety either. Um, it right. just works. So uh, I, I do like that that is there. Just just like Hitchhiker's Guide, where there's nothing subtle about any of those metaphors. <laughs> the ship yeah. hung in the in the sky much in the same way that a brick doesn't. <laughs> It's one of the um, best lines in the whole story, and it uh, when people when people ask what's your favorite line in literature, that's the one I usually give. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it, there was something eerie about this chapter. Like they don't encounter anything else uh, living, and there may have been some animals I'm forgetting about. But like once they part ways with no. Faramir and the men, it's just there's nobody. There's no orcs. There's no other men. Uh, it's just quiet. But it's also like some of the sunniest and green greenest areas they've been in since they crossed the river, the, the, the river with the fellowship. So it's, 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 it's eerie. Yeah. Yes. Except for the fact that I think, I think Connor was a bit more on the money with, uh, like it's daytime, but they say that they can't really see the sun. Like it's kind of obscured, yeah you know like it's there's like a, a haze haze it's, it's never like really like true daylight like even though it's like the middle of the day you know it's like somehow like mordor itself like obscures the sun you know yeah it's, it's almost like a like an eclipse yeah starting or something like that right um but but you're exactly right to say yeah they don't encounter anything else Faramir kind of mentions like they should expect that because they have like scouts go ahead. Um, but it's yeah, eerie is a great word for it because you know Tolkien loves to describe on on top of the landscape, you know the the things that inhabit it. It'd be very normal for him to say you know uh, what what little critters are running around or <laughs> you know the the birds and their calls. Yeah, the and, sounds. Uh, it's quiet. But, it's nothing. You're right. It's 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 empty. It's it's as if the only people inhabiting this landscape, this incredibly vast landscape, are Frodo, Sam, and Gollum. And and so yeah, you get this uh very uneasy sense that like the closer they get to, you know, their goal, the more things kind of break down. The more things 
make less and less sense. Um, and I, I do like this feeling because, you know, I think I think it'd be very easy for for as you get closer to like the epicenter of evil for it like for for the threat to feel more and more present, and in some ways it feels less and less. But like that is the the frightening part about it. You know, it's like you would expect the danger to be ramping up, and and it's actually the absence of that. I think that makes it like more pressing and and more frightening. It's like, well, where is everybody? Where where is even a single orc? You know, like what right. the fuck could be wrong? Right. That that th- like why is this what is waiting for us in Mordor? How could it be nothing? It doesn't make sense. Quiet, too quiet. Pretty much, yeah. Well said. You should write that down, Connor. That would be a great line in something. Oh, you know, I, I'll give it away. Anybody that wants to use it, it's Uh-oh. it's fair game. Really? That's just going to be public domain for you. Just just no just comes gonna... from from my brain, though. Wow. You are a generous soul. Um, there's only one other note that I have here. We, we talked about uh, the storm coming and hope remaining. The only other thing I wanted to talk about was the end of the chapter with the statue. Um, the statue itself, specifically. So uh, let me let me touch on that, and then if there's more we want to get to, we'll we'll get to it. Um, but on page. 311 in my copy. Um, (laughs) Frodo says, look, the king has got a crown again. And then we get this description of, uh, of this statue. I am going to read the description of the statue, but I want to start with Frodo's exclamation because it just feels like such a direct reference to uh, Tolkien's poem about Aragorn, about about like Boromir's vision, you know, that, that sets him on his quest where it's like the crownless again shall be king. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it literally just happens here. You know, Frodo I, just says it. I just, I haven't, I do have a note here. It's just foreshadowing. Because <laughs> our next book is called Return of the King. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> um, we just don't know is is the fact of the Who matter. can say? We just, we just don't know. Um but uh but yeah, so so uh Frodo commenting on that and and sort of I feel like cementing that prophecy as um I mean, like, we knew it was legitimate because so many other things have happened in it. Like, the the sword was reforged. The halflings were, you know, found. Like, like Frodo even mentions to Faramir, like, where the... We are the halflings referenced in your brother's dream. Like, remember that, you know? Um, but it, it feels like this is, like, kind of the final culmination of uh, that prophecy made real in... The physical world you know i think we've gotten each part of it now and then the last part the crownless again shall be king frodo comments on here so yes josh interesting bit of foreshadowing and then i, I just want to end my notes with like continuing on on that so the 
the head, the, the reason that the head, the statue has a, a crown at all is because the head has been severed from the statue. It's on the ground and uh, these flowers have grown around it, creating like a wreath or a, a crown. Um, on the statue itself, we, we get this really awesome description um, and it says here we go uh, the brief glow fell upon a huge sitting figure still and solemn as the great stone kings of Argonath the years had gnawed it and violent hands had maimed it its head was gone and in its place was set in mockery a round rough hewn stone rudely painted by savage hands in the likeness of a grinning face with one large red eye in the midst of its forehead upon its knees and mighty chair and all about the pedestal were idle scrawls mixed with the foul symbols that the maggot folk of Mordor used so what I wanted to close with was just like Minas Ithil itself, which has fallen and has become Minas Morgul, we see that like Sauron's forces really only know how to like repurpose, like destroy and repurpose. They they don't really create of their own. Um, right. And so, you know, like these great creations of these, you know, legendary men of the past, um, their their accomplishments are repurposed into like these uh, darker purposes, um, and so yeah, the the head of the statue has uh, you know been lopped off, and and on it we have this rock with one red eye, obviously for Sauron, and then it's covered in like graffiti, um, which I think. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting detail to include because it's essentially been, um, I don't know. You like, you could almost say vandalized, you know? Um, so I, I, I liked it for that dual purpose of like, Oh, this is just another thing that like greater men had created and then evil sort of like, uh, overtakes and reuses but but can't like create on its own you know um it has to use a foundation of something better than itself to to build on because it, it can't do it for itself um and even like beyond that i i like i like the idea of like all these scrawlings and graffiti on it because it's it's even more than just like oh we put Sauron's head on it it's like I don't know it kind of created this imagery in, of my mind of like you know orcs or other other creatures coming to it like over time and like slowly degrading it more and more or or defiling it more and more um, and then even in spite of all that you know kind of connecting it to what Connor was saying and and even after all these things have been done to it Frodo still sees within like the severed head there's this hope of uh you know of like the last light of day so it's it's not even that all is lost you know it's it it kind of also goes to show the arrogance of um Sauron and the enemy 
you know, they think that they won because you ripped off a head and put yours there instead. But, you know, um, it, it doesn't mean that, uh, that you've won or that you've accomplished anything, right? It's like you're just, you're just sitting on the top of the pile for now. Hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't ensure any kind of victory. You know. It's funny because that's kind of true. Like we learned from the lore, that's kind of true for when uh, the good guys win too. And it's like, oh well, you thought you defeated Sauron, but you know, we give it a couple centuries, and then what happens? You know. Yep. Um. So. You know. Who's to say what like final victory means in the in the scope of like unlimited time but for the purposes of this story um i i think that this this kind of works to show like yeah you know th there's a kind of arrogance from the enemy you know it's like you you kind of like vandalize something you paint over something you know you think that you own it but um it doesn't mean that you've snuffed out the light you know yeah That's yeah and i mean it's it's uh the light it where it's it's always darkest before dawn and then you know, and centuries from from now, somebody will will paint over your, you know, vandalism. So it just it it's it's uh I, I don't know. It's a weird cycle, I guess, where where it's like, maybe, premature victory is not the way to go, and and, um. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how it's gonna play out, or or what kind of note this this whole story is going to resolve on. Um. But you know, I I gotta think that that there has to be some sort of reckoning or understanding of of where truly where where this evil comes from to to deal with it once and for all, and not just you can't just snuff it out with might. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something tells me that we we may be talking about that more as well. So I'm glad that you mentioned it. Josh, I think you may have a few notes you want to share. Just a couple. I mean, I already shared one of them with the foreshadowing. That's literally like the, the same paragraph you were, to, you were talking about with the statue. Um, but backing up a little bit, when... Right after they leave the the men and they're on their own again for the first time um Gollum it basically just starts insulting them as soon as they're out of earshot and Frodo is like uh you can only speak ill of those who showed you mercy keep if if you can only speak ill of those who showed you mercy keep silent and Gollum immediately switches tack is like Smiggle was only joking always forgives he does yes yes even nice master's little tricks is uh, and it's just like, man, this is the stuff that's been kind of in the forefront of uh, of uh, discourse lately. Uh, of just the I was I was only joking, bro. It was only a prank, bro. Kind of kind of defense. And then he goes, and then Smeagol goes on to accuse Frodo of playing tricks on him to make himself the victim uh, yeah. in the whole situation. So it's very like, good. Oh, at he's, that. Yeah, he's very crafty. Um, yeah, and I just and very transparent about it. <laughs> what I liked about that line too is, like, 
you immediately feel like he doesn't forgive him at all. Like, because he's referencing it, it's like, oh, like, no, he's he's holding on to that, you know? He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I, you know, Smeagol's only joking. I forgive everyone, even you, Master, who played a horrible trick on me, right? Ha ha ha, we're both laughing about it. I forgive you. And it's like, feels like that's a very specific example to be bringing up, you know? It's like... <laughs> It, it feels like it's something that is like lingering in him rather than something that he forgives. And, you know, that's uh, that that's no stretch. Like, I think that's very, very clear. Uh, but but I really liked that line because it, it, it felt like it was kind of insightful to what Smeagol is thinking, if you ask me, you know, because it it just very much feels like he does not forgive him. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he's it's it's funny because he is acting in his best like like in his in his, in his interests it, you know in order to, to like stay alive but he also can't help but like throw subtle shade by by like referencing past right. grievances yeah yeah exactly yeah. um i my last note here is kind of similar to my the first one about the foreshadowing um Frodo literally says, I'm afraid our journey is coming, is drawing to an end. He says at the end of book two slash book four of book two, whatever. Uh, <laughs> as my, my comment, I'm just going to read verbatim. Meta comment about how book two slash book four is rapidly ending, but also maybe foreshadowing that Return of the King may shockingly deal with primarily, may deal primarily with other characters more than Sam and Frodo's journey. Because they're literally like at, at the doorstep of Mordor. So who knows how much more of their journey there's going to be. And I mean, half half this book was about completely different characters. And honestly, I think the the first of that book was probably the more, more interesting bit. I mean, we've definitely spoken a lot more about the second half, I think. Wait, you think the first Uh, half of this book is more interesting? A bit more. I just me talking off the cuff. I, I I think we, I think we can discuss it more. Yeah, I think we can discuss it more when we get to the end of the book. Because I feel, I feel the opposite. I feel like more happens story wise in the first half. Fair enough. But yeah, I, I when when I read that bit about Mister about Frodo saying, uh, "I'm afraid of the journey is coming, to, drawing to an end," uh, that that just struck me as a very meta comment. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Especially, you know, here we are. It's like the the close of this story, and then yeah, like what what's happening next? That's that's how I felt about Faramir's comment, where where it's like, oh, you know, uh, a storm is coming, and it and it feels like Tolkien is like, okay, like brace for the finale. You know, we're we're two thirds of the way done here. You know, get ready for the thrilling conclusion. I, I think he is very much drawing your attention to that idea yeah um and i'm i'm ready i'm like really intrigued it's cool and exciting to be at the end of yet another lord of the rings book here i mean very very soon we are going to be done with the two towers and we are going to be reading that potentially thrilling conclusion um you know this this has been a long journey and we we knew it would be 
So I thought you were uh, about to say potentially third book. <laughs> really no, no, sense. no, because it's obvious. It's all one book, as we've said, you know, unofficial trilogy and all that. Um, and not not to get too ahead of ourselves here, because we we still have to finish the two towers, and then we have a whole other book after that. Um, but but yeah, Tolkien is definitely. Um, Bracing you for an ending, and uh, I I do feel like he's structured the story um, in a really interesting way because it it does feel like we're we're kind of building towards something that is clear. Like we all know what the end goal is, we know what needs to happen or what the characters want, but at the same time, like Josh is saying. You know, how could there be a whole book left if the characters are largely at their destination as it is? Yeah, I mean, the map shows they're they still got a ways to go, but there's very few features along the way from assuming they go from um, Minas Morgul, I think is where they're. That's what's labeled right next to the crossroads. Yeah. uh, To Mount Doom. Or we're doing. Um, oh, then we have Baradur, which I think that's the one with Sauron's eye in the movie, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't. Baradur is the Dark Tower itself, right? Not Minas Morgul, which is something else. Okay. I, yeah, I mean, again, I've been mixing the really two up this whole time. <laughs> We don't really know what the two towers are in the two towers, but I can tell you that Baradur is itself the dark tower, which like holds Sauron's essence right. or like the, the eye is upon it. Like that is the tower of Sauron. So uh, probably one of them, but maybe not. Yeah. Perhaps we'll find out soon. I don't know. Really do not know. doesn't matter. Um, we have talked a lot about these two chapters. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else we want to mention before we wrap up here? Not on the podcast because it's unrelated. Okay. Well, you know, Josh, I really appreciate you showing your restraint and not just being like, <laughs> man, isn't it weird that like, they don't just make dogs and like, not just like dogs, but like animals that are like dogs like in the same status as dogs, you know, like <laughs> I thought that was and a go and give it conversation. We could have been done fucking 15 minutes ago if we weren't I talking thought... about why, why aren't animals made anymore? I oh, hey, know. no, it's I mean, it's it's a very interesting question. And I and, and I, I assume listeners got a lot out of it. So hopefully it got those yeah. those clocks ticking, you know. You know, we can only guess, you know, that the, the listeners need to uh, be more responsive. Maybe they want more animal content, you know? Let us know. Yeah, Tweet I mean. at us. Email us. Connor, where can they reach us at? Thank you for asking, Connor. I, I, uh, I appreciate it. That this is a, it's a very important question for, uh, for us all to ask, really, and, to, and, and then for us to answer in turn. Um, You're right. It so is. We should do that. We should. And so to to make a long story short, <laughs> yeah. If you want yep. to support us, 
um, in, in ways other than just listening to the, the podcast. You go to patreon.com slash chapter chumps and give us money. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, on both Twitter or sorry, uh, I, I'm going to we're going to call it Zitter, I think. I think Zitter makes the most sense, right? Z- Zitter, X Zitter on Zitter or Instagram. Yeah, too complicated. Just of a, of a sound, just, just shorten it to Shitter. Uh, okay, so on Shitter or Instagram. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are we not even going to entertain Twixter? I think the Twix brand. I think that's an insult on Twix. The Twix, yeah, okay. the Twix brand probably has the copyright on that one. Oops. So I, I, I'm, I'm worrisome. I don't want Big Twix to come knocking on my door. Okay, so it, what if we swap the T and the X and we get Twitzer? Twitzer. I think we'll we'll keep workshopping. All right? Okay. Yeah. Um, anyways, on both of those platforms, you can follow us at Chapter Chumps Pod. Um, and you know, if you're interested in in any other uh, uh, of our fine products, go to CorruptTV.com because we do other things too besides talk about books. Um, as you heard earlier in the the, uh, the the program, we we launched a Green Day podcast called Green Dudes, where we're talking about Green Day songs, uh, every song in their discography, one by one. Um, so check that out if you're a fan, or if not, uh, you can just listen to it to make fun of us. Um, <laughs> or maybe become a fan. What the or hell? yeah, become a fan. Become a fan. Well, I mean, that's like given. They're not going to listen to that and, and walk away a non-Green Day fan. So. I don't think so. But, as always, until next time. Make up a new animal. What would it be? Don't, don't want fish. 